This episode, North American lore shows us that even falling through a hole in the sky ain't got nothing on giving birth. And for our fact, we examine an ancient people's boasting of an exclusive storytelling art that continues to this very day. Exclusive storytelling, you say? Well, that just happens to be our middle name. Here, on the Colored Exclusive Storytelling Folklore Podcast. Episode 3, North America, Oneida Nation Creation Story. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you so much for heading on over and saying what we're all about. The introductory music to our podcast, as always, is the song Mr. Mischief, courtesy of all good folks, London-based, globally renowned. Our Colored Folklore Podcast logo is courtesy of the very talented Arthur. And this week's, who am I kidding, every week's podcast cover artwork is courtesy of the incredibly talented Jacqueline the last, and, and let's be honest, least crucial component to this team, that we are heist-style oceans 43-ing together. Here is me, your host, Gree. If you're familiar to the cast, first and foremost... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. No, for real, thank you. A ton. And if you're new to the Colored Folklore Podcast, this here little podcast takes you on a worldwide global tour of folklore that colors outside the lines. We like to bring light to the numerous stories, you know, tall tales, fables, myths, folk tales, legends, and the like, from indigenous groups, marginalized peoples, and all in all, corners of the globe that you might not normally be accustomed to, at least here in these parts of the West. We've been going through some growing pains here on the scheduling of the show as I fall into my personal pandemic schedule. As you can tell through my voice, I've been a little sick as of late. Not the big sick, but sick nonetheless. So these these last two episodes, we went ahead and we had those more as uh, 0.5 type episodes where we gave the original, as much as we can say original when talking about folklore, the original tale to the modernized, updated, sarcastically woke stories that we originally planned to deliver. Now, I say planned with an over-enunciation there because last week I asked a question of whether or not the modernization was even needed, and the audience answered. I mean, like, more than a two-to-one ratio answered. So that's, that, they were like, no, no, it, it's not needed. Just the folklore and only the folklore, ma'am. So... That's actually what we're going to be doing moving forward. You'll get your little smarmy intro from me, a sentence or two recap of the previous episode, some background on the people who developed the episode subject matter, and then the tale itself. No modernizing-ish, just the folklore. I'll follow that up with my commentary on it. <laughs> Sorry, you're not getting away from me that easy. I'll tell you what I would have done in modernizing the tale. And a couple of my personal takeaways, uh, things that I thought worked and things that I think maybe didn't age so well. Last episode, we went over a flood myth slash geographical creation story courtesy of the Mapuche people from Chile slash Argentina in South America. This week, we in my neck of the woods, and we're going to be taking a look at the myths and legends of North American, Native American, slash First Nation, slash Indigenous peoples. Now, speaking of slashes, 
I want to speak about what I believe uh, can be interpreted as a travesty, calling Native Americans, and at first I was going to say Indian, but I would like to revise, pretty much calling any people anything other than what they'd like to be called. We'll get a, a pretty good example of this when we get to the originators of today's tale, but all kinds of individuals that refer to someone in a certain way that has nothing to do with the way that person refers to themselves is just uh, cue that previous deep sigh. Um, and yeah, by this I'm, I'm directly referring to colonizers. See, when a group of one type of person invades another land and then and then uh, and then decides how the inhabitants of that land are going to act, behave, exist, worship, live, be referred to, etc., etc., it's pretty messed up. <laughs> I mean, let's I'm I'm gonna break it down real simple. Let's maybe potentially just let autonomous beings be who and what they'd like to be. Yeah, I think it can be boiled down to that. It's pretty easy. You know, get at me if you think that there's a better way. I would absolutely love to to definitely hear that. And if you think that I'm wrong, as always, you you are most most definitely welcome to let us know your opinion. But holy sh! I really feel like that's an uphill battle of a fight. Just just saying. <laughs> That was me putting away my soapbox right quick as we take a look at the Oneida people. And quick sidebar, for the duration of this particular episode, I, I believe that I'm going to use Native American. However, I recognize this is not the only term. It's not even potentially the correct term. It may be what uh, a certain number of individuals would prefer. It may be what some don't. I am I'm extremely sorry. I completely I do understand that. I don't feel like it makes it any better. I just just know that I'm with you. I I feel you. I'm sorry and I'm not trying to be hurtful. Let me know that I it, let me know if I have there are multiple ways to contact the show. Visit this sh- <laughs> visit the show notes for them all and uh from my heart, I'm sorry. Now, anyone who is familiar with Native American lore, you can tell, you can potentially tell from our amazing cover art, thank you, Jay, what today's story is about. Sky Woman is a very famous tale. And some may say, but wait, I thought that was an Iroquois creation myth. Well, the Iroquois are a confederacy, first known as the Iroquois League and then the Iroquois Confederacy. They were made up of five original nations, the Mohawk, the Seneca, the Cayuga, the Onondaga, and the Oneida, or the Onyadaag. Again, this is how they refer to themselves and what I was nodding at earlier. And I am sure pronounced dreadfully incorrect. I'm, I'm extreme. That one, I'm, I'm just embarrassed and I'm sorry. Uh, I won't try that again. Uh, I will stick with Oneida, <laughs> which translates into the people of the standing stone or the people of the upright stone. Additionally, a sixth nation was added the Tuscarora. Additionally, additionally, the Iroquois have brought individuals into the Confederacy from other tribes due to warfare, uh, offering a home to those displaced by tragedy, uh, etc., where those individuals would be considered members of the clan they were adopted by. Additionally, 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 
clan, tribe, nation, if it seems like I'm using these interchangeably, I'm not trying to do that. But some of my research may have uh, inadvertently done that, and I am sorry. Uh, these are not necessarily, and I would just say hard not, interchangeable titles slash groups slash designations, and I heavily suggest you research all the possibilities. It's super cool. Now, the Oneida were initially located in modern-day central New York of the United States of America, but contemporarily, there are four recognized Oneida nations across the continent, with two located in America and two in Canada. Now, the name, the people of the upright stone comes from an ancient legend of the peoples. In it, the Oneida were under pursuit by an enemy. As this combatant tribe chased the Oneida into a field in the middle of the forest, the Oneida vanished without a trace. Even after searching for them, the enemy could only see these large stones that occupied the clearing. It was thought at the time that the Oneida had shapeshifted into these rock formations, and thus, the people of the upright or the standing stone were born. Their creation myth, which relies not so much on those whose feet are on the ground, but rather come from the sky, is the subject of our folklore for today. Once, very long ago, there was the place below and the place above. In the place below, there lay water everywhere, and the only living creatures were those that could live in the water, or those that could fly over the water. In the place above, called the Sky World, there were a great and mighty people who lived all around a large and powerful tree. The rule of the sky people was that no one should ever try to harm the tree, lest a great punishment be visited upon this person. One day, a young sky man and a young sky woman came together to bring life into the world. During her pregnancy, she developed a craving for many odd things to eat. Telling the sky man that she would like to eat of the great tree, the sky man initially resisted because of his fear in the punishment. Waiting for everyone to leave the tree, he went over and began digging to gather some roots. Before he could get far, a large hole opened up, and he ran back to the sky woman, telling her of the situation. Upset that he hadn't brought her anything to eat, she decided to go to the tree herself. Seeing the large hole, the sky woman looked through, and just as she saw the light glinting off the water far below, she fell into the hole herself. Grasping for anything as she tumbled into the hole, she pulled a few roots away from the underside of the tree before she continued falling through the sky above the place below. With the light shining through the hole in the sky, animals in the water and birds in the air saw that something was tumbling through the sky. The birds flew all the way up to see what it was and discovered that it was a woman from the place above. She was falling limp, unconscious, with her hands curled tightly into fists. They sent a bird back to the water to find an animal that they could gently land the woman upon. The water animals spoke with one another, looking for the animal with the greatest strength, and asked if the great turtle would be able to help. She said yes, 
which prompted the birds to gently guide and land the Sky Woman onto the Great Turtle's shell. Waking up on the turtle's back, the Sky Woman saw that she was surrounded by birds and water animals. She asked what had happened, and all the animals told her they had seen her fall through a hole in the sky. Looking where they were pointing, the Sky Woman saw light streaming far away through the hole she fell through. Looking at the roots in her hands, she asked if any of the animals knew where she could find dirt to mix with the roots. They weren't exactly sure, but they supposed that there could be some at the bottom of the water. The beaver volunteered to check. Diving beneath the surface, everyone waited excitedly. After a long time, the beaver came back up, but shook his head. The loon tried next, but also to no avail. Animals kept trying, from the muskrat to the duck, from the beetle to the toad, but no one could reach the bottom. Finally, the shy otter said that she would like to try and dove into the depths. After what seemed like forever, the otter finally burst through the surface with a tiny bit of mud in her paws. The sky woman took the mud and mixed it with the roots in her hand, and she spread it on the back of the great turtle. From there, it began to grow and grow and grow. Thanking the turtle for carrying the world on her back, the woman walked the newly formed land when she felt that it was time to give birth. Gathering the things that she needed from the land and from the sea, she gave birth to a healthy daughter. For the longest time, it was just the two of them, learning from and about the land, while living off of it, in harmony with all of the creatures that now occupied the land, the sea, and the air. As the days turned into years, the Sky Woman became a Sky Older Woman, and the child became a young, nearly not young woman, herself. One day, walking away from the eyes of her mother, the now fully grown woman looked up to see a man standing directly in front of her. She was so scared by so many things that she fainted on the spot. Waking up some time later, two arrows had been placed on her stomach, one sharp, one dull. She took these and went home, but didn't say anything of what happened. Not yet. After some time, her stomach began to feel odd, so she told her mother everything. The Sky Woman sat her down and explained what happened, and that one day she was going to bring life from her body, just like her mother had brought her into the world. When it was finally time to give birth, the woman was in a great deal of pain. The entire time, she had actually been pregnant with twins, and the two children were now arguing in her womb. The right-handed twin was ready to be born and begin the process, when the left-handed twin declared that they wanted to be born first. It was too far along, though, and the right-hand twin apologized, saying that they would see the other twin once they both were born. Not content to simply follow their twin, the left-hand twin sought another way. Heading up instead of down, the left-hand twin pushed aside everything in their mother's body and tried to emerge from what ended up being her armpit. This was, of course, too much for their mother's body, and she died just as she gave birth to both twins. Sky Woman, their grandmother, had left to get supplies for her daughter and was just returning. Looking between the two twins and her now-deceased daughter, Sky Woman dropped the supplies. The left-hand twin immediately blamed the right-hand twin. 
The right-hand twin tried to tell their grandmother what really had happened, but the Sky Woman refused to listen. Leading the left-hand twin away, she angrily demanded that the right-hand twin bury the woman, her daughter, and their mother. It could be seen quickly that each twin was very powerful. One day, taking a walk, the right-hand twin began creating plants and gave them names, stating what each would do and how they could be used as medicine. The left-hand twin, not to be outdone, would destroy these plants and distort others, stating what they were really now called and how they could be used as poison. Then, the right-hand twin created larger trees and bushes that bore fruits and vegetables. They named these and said how delicious all their food would be. The left-hand twin was quick to follow, changing wide, healthy plants into shriveled, thorny vines and hedges. Growing tired of their twin's interference, the right-hand twin created land-faring animals that could eat these destructive plants. The left-hand twin laughed at the spirit of their twin and immediately created larger, vicious predators that would simply eat the animals the right-hand twin just created. Looking for a peaceful retreat, the right-hand twin turned to the water. They rearranged bodies of water to make pleasant springs, streams, lakes, rivers, even oceans. The water flowed merrily both upstream and downstream, and the springs produced sweet water, pleasant for all to drink. The right-hand twin turned their attention elsewhere. The left-hand twin eventually found what the right-hand twin had created, and the left-hand twin gave the bottoms of waterfalls jagged rocks and turned some streams into roaring rapids. They even changed some springs into sulfurous moors, belching heat and poison. Meanwhile, the right-hand twin had been looking at altering birds. They gave them beautiful feathers, all the colors of the rainbow, and voices that could sing out their pleasure all day long. The left-hand twin came right on the heels of the right-hand twin and changed these things as well, stripping birds of their feathers and of their voices, leaving frightfully scaled creatures in their wake. The right-hand twin eventually saw what the left-hand twin had done to the water and to the birds and finally lost their temper. Hunting down the left-hand twin, the right-hand twin found him at an ocean, attempting to alter aquatic creatures into beasts of prey. The right-hand twin began to lecture the left-hand twin about respect. The left-hand twin scoffed that they simply wanted to create, just like the right-hand twin. They had just as much right. It was their birthright, together. The right-hand twin said that was yet to be determined, which they were going to do right now. The right-hand twin challenged the left-hand twin to a game of lacrosse. Taking a handful of sand, the right-hand twin turned it into a golden ball and threw it far away into the sky. They said that when this ball arose in the east, their contest would begin. Then when the ball would set in the west, the contest would be over, and the winner of the game was winner of creation. As the golden ball broke the horizon, the twins collided and began a very rough game of lacrosse. By the time the golden ball had set, neither had scored on the other, so they broke for the night. The left-hand twin suggested that they play the peach stone game the next day. The right-hand twin agreed, and they each went off to prepare. But by the end of the second day, 
Again, neither had scored upon the other. Finally, they both agreed. In order for there to be only one creator, there needed to be only one of them. The next morning, when the golden ball rose in the east, the two began a fight to the death. Closing in on the end of the day, neither had gotten the upper hand when they both decided they would have to use a weapon. The left-hand twin went for a blunt, heavy stick. The right-hand twin went for a long, sharp deer antler. Clashing together, the right-hand twin knocked the left-hand twin to the ground. Staring in horror at the still body of the left-hand twin, the right-hand twin realized what they had done. Through tears, the right-hand twin set the body of the left-hand twin on a raft and gave them a burial at sea. From that point forward, the right-hand twin was considered the creator of all things. However, the left-hand twin was not actually deceased. They survived, and across the ocean, they established their own land, where they created their own things, which is really all that they wanted to do in the first place. And according to the Oneida people of North America, that is how creation began. What I love the most about this piece is the dual nature of the protagonist slash antagonist. The Oneida made sure that one could see that neither twin was 100% anything, you know? I mean, I was pretty sold on an evil twin with the whole destroying their mother's womb thing, but uh, wait, actually, wait a minute, you know what? That's all childbirth, isn't it? And that's not even being sexist. I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to be sexist. Hopefully I'm not if, I, if it comes across that way. I'm sorry. But I'm just saying, all humans, they really do a number on their mother. Not just emotionally and spiritually, but like physically. That's all I'm saying. So pour one out for your mama. Call your mama. Be thankful to your mama. Say thanks to your mom for life, for your life, and for doing a number on things. What I feel like doesn't necessarily age particularly the best is that, uh, to start, Sky Woman is front and center and just the, embodies the tale. And then, whew, she's gone. Uh, once again, WTF, mate. I mean, for real, there, there are some stories out there where uh, the daughter-mother dynamic doesn't exist. It's straight sky mother, fall, death by twins. And that's that's maybe a little bit more jacked up. I mean, additionally, there are, are multiple there are multiple versions of how the story begins. One of which, uh, her father, the supreme deity of Skyworld, tells her she needs to populate the earth. So he just sends his daughter through a hole in the sky. Just that's your job now. Do it. And I'm like, may not, may not use that version. Uh, others, they have her husband tricking her into falling through through the hole. And it's just, um, I think in the first three parts of the globe that we've explored, we have found a theme. Three different places, three different stories, and the patriarchy is... Uh, there. It is 
of thing. A little bit of what I was going to do with things. The turtle was going to be a female identifying black character because who runs the world? That's right. POC girls. It makes sense to me that they'd carry it on their backs. High five. I, oh, I snuck this one in there. Uh, The twins, in my version, they can be read as non-binary. And that's the version I like. But the 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 brother, they are brothers in in most, not all homies, in most of the versions I've seen. I was gonna show Sky Woman soup to nuts in her narrative. You know, maybe maybe start her out as a little maybe, maybe, maybe I was thinking a little princessy, a little spoiled in the beginning, and then she grows into a fully responsible human being, a woman, mother, finds herself, exists, just her and her daughter doing her thing. Then you see her start to to grow and not not necessarily mentally break down, but just like maybe spiritually and how she turns her back for a minute. Her daughter is impregnated and then she turns her, the next time she turns her back, she turns her back for two minutes and it leads to tragedy and death. So that would, I mean, anyone, that would, wow, would that probably destroy your mind? So it, to me, gives a little bit more of a through line as to why she would just uh, turn her back on, on a twin and then believe a very weird story like, what would even, okay, you're right. I'm looking too deep into it. I'll move along. For the fact this week, we have salation oral narratives. This is defined as the body of work, or the body of knowledge, the body of tradition of those who speak the salation language. To give a roundabout area of where this primarily exists or is prevalent, one can look to British Columbia, Canada, as well as the Upper Pacific to Central Northwest of the United States in Montana, Idaho, and Washington states. What's delightful, or rather, what is one of the very delightful things about this is, uh, okay, so these narratives are the traditions of those who speak the language. All right, we got it, we know. But... There are many, many groups that make up this body of people, and they each tell these stories with their own, uh, their own interpretation, their own swag, you know, but at the core, many of the narratives are comparable. They share motif, they, they originate, to the best that we can say, originate, and talking about folklore, as we've already, I'm sure, made painfully clear to you, I'm sorry, in extremely early Salation culture. The earliest written descriptions of these oral traditions are traced to the mythology collections put together by famed anthropologist Franz Boas. I actually didn't know that. I, that was kind of cool seeing, seeing the link. Many count two types of narrative groupings among these oral traditions. Number one, what I feel would be the equivalent of a fable meeting a myth, according to the definitions that we gave in episode 0.2, which, if you haven't listened yet, I'd highly recommend checking it out. This is like the fifth time that it's come up. So it's cool. It's cool. It's all good. We give a fable, a meaning of a talking blankety-blank, fill in the blank, with an explicitly stated moral, and the meaning of a myth as a deity-involved tale helping ancients describe their reality. This is more or less, these are very, very rough summations. Don't judge me on the rough summations. Regardless, what this means 
is that these tales took place before the modern age. Animals can talk, forces of nature are cognizant, and all around, it's a helisiac body of work. Super cool. Number two, just the news. As in, like, nonfiction historical accounts. Though, I'm sure they'd kind of fall in line with legends, as previously defined by colored folklore tales rooted in historical fact. But do not tell that to the storyteller, because there isn't a debate. There is no fiction afoot here. This is considered to be knowledge as passed down from the elders. So these things happened. Of course, really awesome storytellers are going to give their own, you know, their their own signature to these stories. They're going to punch them up a little bit, play to the audience, whatnot. We ain't got no idea what that means, right? (laughs) I was trying to think of a way to surmise this best. When I realized Wikipedia actually already did this. So I'm going to give you a link in the show notes to the direct quote. And it's pretty perfect. Definitely check it out when you have the chance. And that's our show, y'all. Please join us again next episode when we move forward out of my backyard. Bye, everybody. And take a look at an Inuit creation tale. Jacqueline's art and the process of coming up with this cover image. Some of my favorite moments in crafting the show so far. So definitely Keep an eye out on your feeds for that one. Sincere thanks goes out to all good folks for our intro-outro music, which happens to be the song Mr. Mischief. And, of course, speaking of Mr. Mischief, thank you very much, Arthur, for the Smoking Anansi logo, for the whole kitten caboodle that is our show. And thank you, Jacqueline, for the cover art that makes one's eyeballs sang. Yeah, at least, at least that's what I heard. My eyeballs, they don't... <laughs> Who am I kidding? She has my eyeballs howling. I can't lie. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, such as what the heck did that last little bit even mean, please email us at info at coloredfolklore.com. Or if email really isn't your thing and you are much more in line with social media. One, I'd invite you not to do that. Two, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, all with the handle Colored Folklore. And the best way as always, is to go straight to the source, our website, www.coloredfolklore.com, which has all of the previously listed information front and center on all of the pages. Check out our allies page for our friends of the show. Check out our support page if you'd like to see how you might be able to give to the show. And if you have the chance, please leave us a rating, a review, anything that you would like on your podcast platform of choice. Honestly, straight up, tell someone, text them, call them write a letter to them, send a postcard, someone you think that could learn, they might be interested, they might want to contribute, they might want to collaborate, trust me, they are coming. I have the count up to three now, and I'm going out of my freaking mind. It's very exciting. Yes, I know it was very simple things and it's not that many, but I like it. So shut up. Spread knowledge of the show, my friends. Let others know what you like what you check out, what you're interested in, what you think they might check out. Help us help you. Show me the folklore. I love indigenous people. What? That's that's how the quote goes, right? Right? <laughs>